Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlock. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. I'm excited for today's conversation on preaching Christ in the Old Testament. I'm excited for the topic, but I'm also excited for the brother uh, joining us to have the conversation, Dr. Alan Mosley. Dr. Mosley serves as Senior Professor of Old Testament and Hebrew at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Mosley has served as a pastor both before and during his teaching career. He's authored several books, including... From the Study to the Pulpit, an eight-step method for preaching and teaching the Old Testament. Dr. Mosley, brother, thank you so much for taking time on this cold Monday to join us in the studio to have this conversation. Happy to be here. It's a delight to be able to chat about uh, preaching the Old Testament anytime, and uh, especially with you guys and your audience. Absolutely. So we're talking about preaching Christ from the Old Testament. Why don't we start the conversation by answering the question, why do we do it? The why? Why do we preach Christ in the Old Testament? Well, I think there are several answers to that question. Uh, In my Old Testament introduction uh, class, I I talked for about an hour, hour and a half about uh, why the Old Testament is important. But for pastors, I think, first of all, there is a historical answer to that question, and that is that the church has preached the Old Testament for 2,000 years now unless perhaps your name is Marcion, uh, in which case, you know, he uh, changed uh, the canon to exclude the Old Testament. And I suppose there are some uh, in our generation sort of neo-Marcionites to to one degree or another, but primarily the church has used the Old Testament with spiritual benefit for 2,000 years. And so, in a way, you'd you'd have to almost say we're guilty of... um, uh, chronological snobbery if we think that we have outgrown that somehow, you know, and uh, we would step beyond the tradition of the church when so many believers have uh, found the Old Testament to be of such a prophet. But also there's a, a really, there are really strong biblical reasons uh, for preaching the Old Testament, and uh, that is that this is what the early church did. You know, just mm. read the, the, the book of Acts, and when they were preaching the gospel, in evangelistic circumstances, you know, in Paul's mission trips, what, what did they do? They used the Old Testament to preach Christ. They uh, referred to events in redemptive history that are described in the Old Testament, and they did so Christocentrically. In other words, all of that that God has done in the past uh, led to uh, Jesus, and uh, Jesus was uh, what they were uh, preaching, the, the gospel content that would uh, call people to salvation. And then, of course, you turn to the epistles, and uh, the, the uh, writers were constantly uh, building their theology on what God had always been doing, on, and specific text in the Old Testament, and uh, in the uh, paranesis or the moral exhortations in the New Testament. They were saying, here's an example from the Old Testament. You know, why, why should we pray? Well, look at Elijah. He prayed, be like him. Mm. Uh, and also, don't grumble or commit idolatry like the Israelites did in the wilderness, Paul said. So um, if this is what the early church did, this is our example. Now, I would, I would add um, 
one footnote to that, and that is um, uh, there's a difference between New Testament writers and uh, us as contemporary preachers in that we are not uh, divinely inspired to the same level. Right. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're, we're not inerrant. We're not writing Scripture as we stand and preach. And so I would give uh, writers of the New Testament liberty to do things I cannot do. For example, when they use allegory or typology. This is divinely inspired right. Uh, right. allegory or typology, and I sure. am not divinely inspired to do that. Um, and we only have a few examples in the New Testament of that anyway, Galatians 4, Hebrews mm-hmm. 7, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, l- let me let me maybe push back a little bit. Um, just just to be the devil's advocate for the fun. I teach Old Testament at Southeastern as well, as, as you know, Alan, and so um, so maybe I'm doing so a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but uh, Colossians 2, uh, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Um, also in Hebrews 8, uh, in speaking of, of the, the tabernacle, and when the Lord gave Moses the, um, the, the, um, the blueprint for uh, the tabernacle, uh, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 8, verse 5, they serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Um, and he says that again in chapter 10, the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. And so there are a whole, there's a whole wing of, of preachers and, and even, you know, uh, uh, scholars, theologians, and so on that would say, well, this was the, the trailer, <laughs> if you will, and now we've got the actual thing. We've got the movie. You know, so so why in the world would we continue to sit and watch the trailer over and over again when mm-hmm. we could actually enjoy the movie? Why why mm-hmm. spend all this time in the Old Testament if the Old Testament is just one big neon sign pointing to the reality of what's going on in the New Testament? How how do you respond to that? Hmm. Well, I'm not sure what I would do. I think is I would um, argue with both of those analogies, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the the trailer and the uh, neon sign. In some ways, those are helpful analogies, but in other ways, uh, this is a trailer that is uh, divinely inspired. Mm -hmm. And also, it doesn't really qualify as a trailer since it lasts for thousands of years, you know? (laughs) And uh, and, uh, also, this was God acting on the plane of history, revealing himself. uh, And, uh, you know, some... I think one answer to the question uh, why we preach the Old Testament is uh, a, a sort of an entailment of uh, the fact that we believe the entire Bible is inspired by God. Mm-hmm. So if the Bible, we know it consists of 66 books, but if the Bible in another sense is one book inspired by one author, we would expect uh, the latter part of the book to relate somehow to the former part of the book. Uh, because, you know, a book written by one author, you know, the guy who's writing the end also wrote the beginning. Right. And so he remembers what he wrote at the beginning. And what if in that book he's describing things that he actually did, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is God fulfilling in Christ everything he's always done. There's, there's another answer to this, too, I think. Um, 
uh, and that is that um, this this is um, God relating uh, relating what He's done in Christ uh, to who He is as well. This is the one who is the Creator of the universe. I mean, in a sense, you'd have to. Uh, I think it's helpful to ask the other question. Um, what if the New Testament writers or the early preachers of the gospel, what if they had not referred to the mm. Old Testament mm. and they had preached Christ as something that was brand new uh, that did not relate to any other religion at mm. all? Well, there are plenty of religions uh, in the Greek world, uh, mm. in the Roman Empire at that time. You had all the Greek gods, you had Mithras, uh, and so forth. And so people would wonder how this relates to these other religions. Well, the early Christians made it very clear. What we know in Christ is what God has always been doing. Right. And this is the same God who created the universe. Yeah. In fact, Jesus himself identifies himself as that God when he says, you know, before Abraham was Ego I me, mm-hmm. I am, using the Septuagint language for the very name of God that uh, God revealed to Moses in Exodus 3.14. So this is that God, the God who created everything, mm-hmm. the God who has now come to us in Christ and lived among us and you know died for our sins and rose on the third day. Uh, so, But getting back to your question about Colossians 2, um, of course we have to say, that what God did in the past uh, was salvific. You know, it was calling people to faith in him, but God has done something new in Christ. And there's a sense in which uh, what he has done formerly is now obsolete because of the new thing that he's done in Christ. Mm-hmm. Is it the same as he's done always? Yes. Is it different? Yes. You know? mm-hmm. In yeah. other words, there's a newness in Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the new stage of salvation history but it does, does it relate to the old? Of course, because God did not begin to be gracious when God was incarnated in Christ. That's God has always point. been gracious. Yeah, God yeah. has always sought sinners to reconcile them to himself. Now he, and, and everything, by the way, he's done in the Old Testament was, as I, the two words I emphasize are preparatory and pedagogical. Mm-hmm. He was preparing the world for what he would finally do in Christ. And he was teaching the world what what Christ coming would mean, mm-hmm. and the, all the different facets of the old covenant uh, sacrificial system, for example, and the fact that we had to be saved by faith, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, these things. He he took the long road of educating his people and the world of uh, what it would mean for Christ to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're you're absolutely right about that. There there are categories that exist in the New Testament that cannot exist without without the Old Testament background and the Old Testament revelation. There, right. and, and I think we do a disservice when we teach our people and just assume that our people have any clue about, about these categories. Right. Um, you know, to say, uh, say in John, you know, to say uh, that, you know, one, um, that, that Jesus is greater than Moses, you know, like in John 6, you know, where uh, they talk about the things that Moses did and Moses brought, you know, the, the bread down from, from, uh, uh, from, the, from the heavens and all that. And Jesus says, well, I am the bread of life. Mm-hmm. You know, well, that, 
if you don't know the wilderness narrative, mm-hmm. that makes no sense, you know, or even in John 1, you know, where he talks about the law coming through Moses, grace, what is it, grace and truth um, uh, come through Christ, I, I believe it is, uh, in John 1, 18. Um, and so, you know, there again is that idea that if you don't understand the story, if you don't know where we've come, you know, up until this point, uh, it just doesn't make any sense. I kind of using the trailer and, and movie analogy. I, I, I like to say it's it's more so like walking into the theater forty five minutes into the movie, mm-hmm. you know, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and thinking good... that you have any clue what is going on in here. There, yeah, exactly. there are things that happened at the you know in the first forty five minutes of the movie that are probably important for the rest of the <laughs> for the rest of the movie. Right. Uh, get the whole story. Start from the opening credits, you know, and work your way through. Through, mm-hmm. And uh, the story makes a lot more sense that way. Um, well, what? Uh, here's another one. Uh, since since uh, we're, we're just going to open up the firing squad on, uh, <laughs> on, on, on Dr. Mosley here and this Old Testament preaching stuff. Um, would you say that the gospel is in the Old Testament? Because I mean, obviously, we we know the 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 dichotomy. Um, not entirely Lutheran, but but it's definitely influenced by uh, by by that um, the categories are influenced by him. That you know you've got the law and you've got gospel, mm-hmm. and and many have said, well, the Old Testament was law. If you wanted to be in in the group, if you wanted to be a part of of the people of God, you got to keep the law. And and in the New Testament, you know, well, Christ is the end of the law. And so, you know, again, why should we be focusing on the Old Testament mm-hmm. uh, when the Old Testament is all about law? And we're not law people; we're grace people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what? What? How do you respond to that? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I don't think we would want to say that. Um, well, a- as an Old Testament professor, I'll I'll begin by saying we may immediately respond defensively and say, well, the Old Testament is the same as the New Testament. Well, it's not really. Mm-hmm. You know, God was doing something new in Christ. Mm. Um, there is a difference between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant in mm-hmm. Christ. Um, but as I said earlier, did God begin to be gracious uh, when Christ was born? No. Uh, and so um, there is a sense of continuity between uh, the co- you know, and you know that you know books and books have been written about mm-hmm. uh, continuity and discontinuity and, right. and those and by the way if I could just put a plug in for uh, a book of one of our colleagues Ben Merkel mm-hmm. his his book discontinuity and continuity is really an excellent excellent consideration of of that question, sort of laying out all of the answers for us in one place for our own uh, edification consideration, you know, as a, as a great resource. Uh, but I do want to simply say that, you know, God has been gracious all along, and uh, in, in the Old Covenant, yes, there were, there were laws, but these were laws for God's people, not the world in general laws for the ordering of my private life that I would live morally, but also the ordering of society, uh, the society of God's people. And also there was a missional purpose in these laws uh, because God said, the, you know, the purpose is in Deuteronomy, he said that other nations will look to the Jews and say, uh, how God has blessed this people that they that, that 
uh, and how he must love them that he would give them such laws to make them so wise and mm-hmm. so forth. So there was a missional purpose to the laws as well. Look, they're living a successful life. They know what not to do. They know what to do. They know how to be right with the one true God of the universe. Uh, and we see these same sorts of themes in the New Covenant uh, as well, where uh, we are saved by grace, only in Christ, but we also have certain um, guidelines for our lives. You know, do this and don't do that. And we see the Ten Commandments reflected in the New Testament as well. You know, we're still not to commit adultery, not even, according to Jesus, to have an adulterous thought, you know. Mm -hmm. So we have do's and don'ts in the New Covenant as well. So, uh, yes, there's something new in Christ. There's no question about that. And some of the Old Covenant is now obsolete. Mm -hmm. The New Testament is is quite explicit about that. As as you said, the shadow versus the substance, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so, you know, Paul would say to these Colossian believers, don't let people beat you up about certain observing days or diets. And mm-hmm. so, so, yes, we've set some of that aside, no question uh, about that. But have we set all of it aside? Not at all, mm-hmm. uh, because of what we read in the New Testament. You know, they were yeah. constantly looking back to the Old Testament saying, this is our God yeah. who has revealed himself all along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We think about uh, the constitutional aspect of the law. You know that the law it was meant, like you said, you know to uh, to constitute a people. You know to to give order to their society and 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 so on. Are we legally bound? You know to to the law. No. Uh, you know Christ. You know uh, came born under the law to redeem those. You know for, who were under the law, uh, and so on. So the you know there's that's not there, but the the word Torah, you know, isn't just simply law or legality, you know, or mm-hmm. something like that, but it's also instruction. Mm-hmm. And does Torah still instruct us? Absolutely. You know, do the dietary laws, even though we're no longer under the dietary laws, do they still instruct us in in terms of the categories of purity and and the the extensiveness? of that purity, that even, you know, how we eat <laughs> mm-hmm. matters. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do mm-hmm. all, you know, for the glory of God. And so even what I eat and how I eat and maybe even how much you know, or how little mm-hmm. and, and so on, uh, you know, it communicates the mm-hmm. things of, of what I believe, you know, mm-hmm. about God and, and who he is and how he's provided and and all of that. So even though the law is is no longer a um, a constitutional, uh, it no longer has constitutional force, if, if you could say it that way, uh, it is it is you know, now and forever, uh, a, an, an instructor to us uh, in the sense that it is the Word of God and it reveals, you know, aspects of his character and um, and even, you know, um, uh, what he expects of his people uh, in terms of, you know, uh, at least in the in the broader categories of purity and holiness and wisdom and, and, of course, righteousness and justice and so on as well. It's a very important point, Roger, especially for preachers. Teachers. Um, I remember, you know, years and years ago when it dawned on me the applicability of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 for my preaching of the Old Testament. All Scripture is mm-hmm. inspired by God mm-hmm. and profitable. All Scripture, Leviticus, 
Numbers, Deuteronomy, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Mm. And so as a preacher, when I read those books of the Old Testament, I I read them as, okay, these are from God, not for a period of time, but they are eternal truth, and they are profitable. So I ask as a preacher and a pastor, how is this profitable Mm. for my people today? As you said, not in the same way that it was mm-hmm. profitable in the Old Covenant period, but Paul was writing in the New Covenant period in Second Timothy 3, mm-hmm. saying this is still profitable. Right. So, you know, I preached through Leviticus for months and months and asking that question, how is that profitable for these people today? What, as you say, do we learn about God from these dietary laws? What do we learn about how God relates to his people, how God's people are to relate to the rest of the world? And these are actually questions that we can answer bringing all of the biblical theology to bear on Leviticus 12 and 13, et cetera. You know, um, uh, so we can find ways in which they are profitable, even though... Uh, they're not profitable in the same way. That's really good. So when we talk about preaching Christ in the Old Testament, are we talking about preaching Christ in every passage, or are there certain spots we're bringing that out, like the Messianic prophecies? What do we do with, like, Proverbs and Leviticus? Right. Well, um, first of all, I think we simply say that Christ is not in every passage in the Old Testament. You know, he's, he's not there. You don't have your magnifying glass looking at every little <laughs> right. nook and corner. Right, right. Um, because he hasn't been born yet. Yeah. Now, is he, uh, it, he's also eternal. He's God. And uh, this is one thing people ask, well, how do you get to Christ? From Well, if you can get to God from an <laughs> Old Testament text, then you can get to Christ. Right, right. Because Christ is God, you know. Uh, so God is the one who inspired it. This is, uh, and Christ is the eternal word. So, when I say that Christ is not in every passage, I, for me as a preacher, that's a reminder that before I preach Christ in this Old Testament text, I want to preach the Old Testament text. I want to see what God was doing on the plane of history at this moment in salvation history because I think that this is the, the reason God has uh, inspired this text for us, that he was working in history at that point. And so I want to explicate for my people what is happening right here in this text. Let's understand. Let's put ourselves in the the sandals of the Israelites uh, back there and understand what's happening there. And then we can move forward uh, in time and salvation history. Do you think that pastors and preachers create more confusion than clarity when they try to take that out of order? I think so. I think mm. we always, in reading the Bible, we we always have to ask the question: What time is it? You know, mm. uh, where are we standing That's good. in salvation yeah. history? And uh, we start with the time uh, of this particular text. Um, you mentioned Proverbs, and you know, I've I've got a book on Proverbs. I've right. preached from Proverbs, and so uh, oftentimes, you know, at the beginning and the end, at the beginning of the sermon. Uh, I'll say something like, um, you know, Proverbs is not just so we can, uh, you know, live a successful life. It's to also lead us to God because I like to think of it sort of as a circle because um, the the text is there um, to, it's inspired by God. And so 
the text should lead us to faith in Christ to see, for example, Proverbs. Uh, I've got a bunch of uh, you know guidelines for living, um, pointers in wise living. Okay, that's great. You know, so I'm just going to do my best to uh, be a wise person. No, I should see how um, I- impossible it is for me. To, to fulfill this without God's help. And that leads me to the one who Paul said in First mm. Corinthians 1, is our wisdom and our righteousness. Right. Mm-hmm. It shows me my need uh, for Christ. Uh, so once I find him, I find the power to do what God tells me to do, to become a wise person. And by the way, what is one of the tools that God uses to make me a wise person. And that leads me back to the text. Mm -hmm. You know, this is one of his means of grace, is the book of Proverbs to show me uh, how to uh, not turn to the left, but always turn to the right. This is the guidance of Proverbs, Mm -hmm. you know. But, uh, you know, it's not just a book to say, oh, this is our, I think our fear as Christian preachers that people would leave thinking, ah, that guy said some good things about living. Let me see if I can go out and uh, do what he said. Try to do it myself. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'll be a better person. And you can do that uh, until you go to hell, you know, Uh, just try to be better and better. Uh, on my own and never be right with God. And this right. is not a hypothetical situation. People mm-hmm. have always tried to substitute religion and my righteousness for uh, God's work in my life or reconciliation to God. Uh, so that's what not what we want to happen. We want to call people to salvation, to a right relationship with God, and then God uses his word uh, to make us uh, wise and righteous, holy people. That's really good. Mm. What are what are some other mistakes that preachers make when when they're trying to preach or or they're trying to situate or locate Christ in the Old Testament? I mean, they're they're obviously we want to preach Christ from the Old Testament. We can butcher it. <laughs> so, what are what are some specific ways that we that we may not do it well? <laughs> we can butcher it, and I think I would say I have butchered it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, uh, and this is uh, you know something we preachers should always uh, confess because um, this uh, we remind ourselves when we haven't done it well that. M- pushes me to do it better uh, this week, you know, mm-hmm. as I prepare uh, to stand in the pulpit before uh, my people. Well, to answer your question, I would say uh, one way we get it wrong is uh, the use of allegory. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I spend some time in my book talking about why allegory is not a good idea mm-hmm. uh, for us. Um and I think another way uh, we get it wrong is by just not doing our homework um, or uh, by trying to, to reconstruct a text in a way that was that God does not intend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of Second uh, Samuel 11, uh, David committing adultery with Bathsheba. Well, how do you make that passage Christological? Why can't we just tell the story and say, don't be like David. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't commit adultery. Mm -hmm. And then we ask the question, well, how can we become people who don't commit adultery? How can we become people who are faithful in our relationships? 
Well, we need Christ to, yeah. to do that. We need yeah. salvation in him. We need his sanctification uh, as well. But the passage is not about Jesus. You know, it's about the the folly of uh, adultery and all of the negative consequences that result from that. And then what what is God's answer mm-hmm. to that? Mm-hmm. It's his help, and he's provided that help in coming to us in Jesus, you know. Uh, so I think not doing our homework, not getting the facts right, not entering uh, this the, the moment in salvation history, this is a way we can uh, get it wrong, trying to make the connection between Old and New Testament allegorically mm-hmm. uh, also is another way. And, and this inevitably involves just my own imagination, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to be very careful uh, about that, and, you know, referring to sanctified imagination. Well, is there such a thing? Uh, I don't know, but um, we need to be really careful in the way we feel at, at liberty with the text. Don't just mm-hmm. st- stick with the text. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. What does the text actually say? Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're constantly, as an Old Testament professor, people are asking me questions all the time about things that we don't know and cannot know. Mm-hmm. Well, what was happening in this text? Or why didn't he do that? Or why mm-hmm. didn't he say that? Or I don't know. Yeah. You know, but the, the yeah. text doesn't tell us. Don't ask me questions that I cannot possibly answer. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's just uh, preach what the Bible says. Yeah. You know, isn't that enough for us? Yeah. yeah. And a good way to combat some of these these pitfalls uh, you address it in your book is just by approaching the text with the right questions. So mm-hmm. I really like one of the questions that that you mentioned earlier. What time is it? Mm-hmm. It's a really mm-hmm. good way to get you in the mindset of like of of doing the sermon prep and thinking. What is the text actually saying rather than me bringing, you know, my own uh, thoughts and, and, and opinions into the text? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and what happens then when we're looking at the text is, and when, when we're sitting under the text is that we allow the scriptures, if I can say it this way, to broaden and to deepen our understanding uh, of the person and work of Christ. And so... You know, we look at, at, say, what the Lord does, and we say, okay, well, Jesus came to forgive us of our sins. Well, praise the Lord. You know, he, he forgives us of our sins. He reconciles us to God. You know, these, this is, you know, no one does this but Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we, we worship him for that. But there's more that Jesus sets out to do. Uh, you know, Jesus uh, is here to uh, to defeat the forces of evil. You know, Jesus is here to renew the cosmos. You know, Jesus is here to uh, to establish his kingdom. You know, uh, which is a a society of righteousness and justice and peace on the earth. You know, and and all these different things. And you'll find that when you're reading the scriptures, especially when you're reading the Old Testament. Now, there are things that God is doing in the world <laughs> and things that God's doing, I guess, on the cosmic scope that may just go beyond the categories that we have. Our categories are too small. Mm-hmm. And so as we're reading the scriptures, we go, wait a second, there's more that God is doing. So, for instance, the, you, the uh, passage you mentioned with David, um, well, God gave David a covenant and he said, you'll have an everlasting uh, – your seed will have an everlasting kingdom. He's going to sit on your throne and he's going to rule forever. If he obeys, mm-hmm. <laughs> if he obeys, uh, and so David, of course, fails. Uh, David, um, uh, with his adultery and and the, the conspiracy and murder and all of these things that that he did, uh, and then of course you get into kings. You see Solomon, 
Solomon Solomon was a cool guy, you know. I mean, folks were coming from all over the world to, <laughs> to see him, his wisdom and all of that. Uh, but you know, he he actually had the same problem that his dad did. You know, he had he had a problem with with philandering and 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 so on, and that led him into idolatry, as First King says. Ah, he's not obeying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not just enough to have a king. It's not just enough to have a Davidic king. We need to have an obedient. Davidic king. Mm-hmm. And uh, and as we keep looking, we're going, well, who is it? Is it Rehoboam? Well, it's definitely not <laughs> Rehoboam. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you just mm-hmm. keep going, 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 mm-hmm. going, going. And you just kind of go, who is this king? You know, who who are we talking about? The Lord gives us promise, but it seems like another one of these promises that could never happen because there, that human doesn't exist. Until he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. and when he appears on the scene, just like what you were saying, all the everything just points to him. He's the, he is the one that the Lord was talking about. So you can preach that as you're going through uh, David's moral failures and so on. We realize, yeah, that is a reality in this world. You know, the we live in a world where rulers abuse their power. Mm-hmm. We live in a world where where you know rulers, instead of caring for the people, they they take advantage of the people and manipulate the people and violate people. And all of this is true of uh, as much as as true of of our world in the 21st century as it was in David's world. And yet there is a king who is completely different than this. Mm-hmm. And he's a he he is the 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 better king. He is uh the one who who um uh, uh who will walk closely with the father or even using Samuel's language, he is the king after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. And uh and so we trust in him. So yeah, let the Bible expand your categories and 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 even create some that you probably didn't have before. And and what you wind up with is I think an even better and bigger and fuller and more beautiful picture of uh, the person and work of Christ uh, in all of his work mm-hmm. <laughs> that That's he's good. doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead of trying to squeeze the Bible into perhaps our, our a bit too narrow categories. You're preaching mm-hmm. over here. Yeah. <laughs> like I was in the congregation there for That's a good second. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, pastors are to preach the whole counsel of God. Uh for pastors listening right now, they're thinking, "Okay, I got that. You've 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 showed me. I need to preach the Old Testament. Where where should they start? Should they prioritize either Testament over the other? Where would you start?" Hmm. Uh, well, in terms of priority, I, I I would simply say that we prioritize preaching um, all of the Bible. You know, so but you do have to start somewhere. In other words, you don't prioritize one or the other. Although. You know, I'm an Old Testament professor, but I would still say the priority is the New Testament. You know, we, right. uh, of course, we preach the New Testament, and I, I don't think any. We, you don't have podcasts on why why we should preach the New Testament, you right? Know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, we assume that is going to, to to happen. Of course, this is you know about Christ. You know. We um, should have that episode. Yeah. Just that's the that's only a, that's a one minute episode. Right. <laughs> should we preach the Old Testament? Yes. I love it. Yeah. Um, but I th- I think in terms of um, you know when you use the phrase whole counsel of God, so that's the priority. And uh, as a pastor, my goal would always be to toggle back and forth between uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament because right. I'm, I'm trying to disciple people. Uh, every preaching opportunity is an evangelistic moment. You know, we invite people to put their faith in Christ. 
But, you know, we ask a lot of preaching, and every preaching opportunity is also a discipleship moment Mm. where we're trying to train people in knowing the contents of the Word of God and knowing how to interpret and apply the contents of uh, the Word of God as well. And we don't want the people of God to know some of it or part of it. We want them to know all of it. And so, um, you know, we pick We'll pre- preach from Leviticus and and then Mark and then Proverbs and then Romans. Yeah, that's you something know? our church has actually done. We'll, 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 we'll alternate between the Old and New Testament. So previously we were in Genesis, currently we're in Galatians. And just looking at the connections there has been really, really helpful for me personally and for our family uh, just to go from Genesis all the way you know, now to Galatians, and then we'll be in Exodus next. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that pastors sometimes try to they feel comfortable, more comfortable in the New Testament as well. And mm-hmm. so my my encouragement would be don't let the fact that you're uncomfortable with certain aspects or that there are mm. tougher texts maybe in the Old Testament deter you from actually preaching or at least balancing it out. Right. I think that's a great uh, approach to go uh, back and forth. I, I also teach this Doctor of Ministry seminar in preaching the genres of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so that's another way to think about this, to uh preach the parables of Jesus and Mm. then Proverbs or prophetic text and then Mm -hmm. legal text and Mm -hmm. then uh, epistolary text and then gospel, you know, to get our people, uh, you know, to increase their ability to read and understand God's word. I mean, really, in terms of discipleship, in preaching through Leviticus, are there evangelistic, discipleship, theological goals? Yes, but also hermeneutical goals because we tell our people read the Bible. Start uh, January one, you know, or the first day of the the year, and read through the Bible. You know, and so what if they actually do that? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and then they they get to Leviticus and they think, what do I do with this? <laughs> well, if we preach through Leviticus, or you know, if we preach these texts, what we're doing is helping them to see how I can read this with profit spiritually in my life. And if we can accomplish that for them, then we've helped them for the rest of their lives to read this scripture with understanding and uh, allow God to speak to me in certain ways through it. Yeah. Any resources you'd recommend on this topic that could be valuable and uh, for pastors as they as they look to to jump into this, I know we mm. mentioned your book, which is a fantastic resource. You actually have a chapter on connecting Christ uh, in your preaching while preaching the Old Testament. Any other resources you'd recommend? Uh, well, you took my thunder there and pr- promoting my own book. We think it's better to come from you instead of me, I guess. So it makes me appear to be humble, whether I am or not. But uh, I could say, well, uh, I know someone who's written a book on that. Um, but um, I think of Dennis Johnson's book, uh, Him We Proclaim, would be one uh, book. And wow, I've got a uh, uh, several books in my library that are just not coming to mind right now. But I would say uh, to pastors, um, uh, look around. Uh, let me see. It seems like Brian Chapel has a book on Christ-centered mm-hmm. preaching mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. Uh, to to read these. You know, Even I, the Christ-centered exposition commentary series, which, which you have done volumes mm-hmm. of as well. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a great resource just to use for, you know, week-by-week preparation. Uh, and I would say, you know, uh, I think it would be a great goal of pastors every year to read something like one book on theology, one book on becoming a better preacher, mm. uh, one book on under, 
understanding the Old Testament and so forth. And then, of course, every week you have to, as, as a friend of mine refers to, the relentless return of the Sabbath. You know, <laughs> you, you know you're going to stand up and preach every week. So uh, doing a good job of that, you bring good resources to bear on preaching this Old Testament. And some of it is learned just by doing, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, working on this week's message and next week's and, and growing week after week, year after year, that discipline uh, builds in us a, a higher le- ability. I know a be- I'm a better preacher now than I was uh, 10 years ago, and I hope I'll, I- I'm continuing to grow. And I, I right. hope, hope that would be the case for all of us as Bible expositors, you know, that we're just growing uh, in our ability, not just in a human sense, but we're asking God to, to build in us certain uh, disciplines, uh, certain dispositions that would make us better uh, expositors. That's good. Any final words of encouragement for pastors and church leaders listening this week? I think uh, when I'm asked that question, Brandon, I, I think of two things that some people think of as uh, polarities, but I like to bring them together. And as a professor, uh, you would expect me to say the first one, and that is to I would exhort pastors to be good students, mm. uh, to be to, to to know God's word. And to to seek good resources, as you said, to help them to be better interpreters, um, to constantly grow in their ability to use language uh, to describe and to proclaim God's word. And this is work. You know, this mm-hmm. is every week working to build my vocabulary, to build my knowledge base, to know all of God's Word and know what is written about God's Word. So be a good student. Be a good student in just preparing f- uh, uh, for this week's sermon, to know the text and, and to preach it well, to be an excellent expositor uh, and strive for excellence in everything. This is very much a kind of a, a, a human exhortation to be the best we can be. But the other uh, exhortation that some people regard as a polarity is just the opposite, to walk with God this week, mm-hmm. you know, to realize we cannot be excellent. We cannot be mm-hmm. the expositors mm-hmm. that we need without God's help. And this is the reason I start every chapter of my book with um, an emphasis on prayer. Mm-hmm. So before I study how to, to do word studies well, I'm going to pray, God, help me to get this right. Help me to realize that my words uh, will be listened to by people. And I want to get this right, and I can't do it without your help. And so become a person of prayer. So those two together, becoming the best student I can be, and then on the other hand, throwing myself on the grace of God Mm. and depending on him, uh, those two things together, I think, uh, help us week by week. Well, that'll do it, Dr. Mosley. Thank you again for taking time to join us. I've enjoyed sitting in your Old Testament class this morning. You are such a gift to our school, to our center, uh, and to the church. If you're listening today and you don't have a copy of From the Study to the Pulpit, change that today by adding it to your library. It's a fantastic resource on preaching and teaching the Old Testament. And we want to thank you, listener, for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found today's conversation helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And finally, brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.